Before we get started, we wanted to give a disclaimer. Some of the topics discussed in this episode are sensitive. We want this to be an open conversation about topics that are hard to discuss, but we also want our audience to be comfortable. We will be discussing eating disorders in today's episode of Beyond the Lines. Please consider not listening if you feel that these topics could bring about emotional distress. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Lines, a podcast brought to you by East Carolina University Campus Recreation and Wellness. My name is Delaney Hogg, and I'm one of your hosts this season. What's up, friends? I'm Rachel, and I'm here with Mackenzie. We're going to let Mackenzie introduce herself for you. Hey, I am a senior here at East Carolina, um, a public health major with a concentration in pre-med, hoping to eventually open my own eating disorder facility um, for pediatrics. So that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. So we are going to jump in today's episode and recording, and we're all really excited, I think. Again, Rachel and I are still very new to the podcasting world. We're on to our second guest, but we are so excited that Mackenzie is here today. And we're going to kind of get started with her story in a minute. All right. So this season, we're bringing students from different walks of life and different backgrounds to talk about their story with resiliency. So Mackenzie, can you tell us a little bit about your story of resiliency? So as I mentioned before, I am hoping to open my own practice of for eating disorders and pediatrics. Um, this actually started after I dealt with an eating disorder myself. Um, I was diagnosed at a pretty young age and went through treatment and a lot of different things, but I learned a lot from it and I became a much better person because of it. Um, recovery is definitely a hard process, but it's well worth it. How old were you when you kind of, when it was brought to your attention, I guess, that you might have an eating disorder? Um, I was actually 16 when I was diagnosed, but eating disorder habits started when I was around 11 or 12. Wow. That's really young. Yeah. Um, in middle school, you know, of course, bullying and all of that. And I'm actually taking a year off to work with middle schoolers. Oh, good. Um, so it'll be interesting, but did you experience any, like, bullying firsthand when you were in middle school? I did. I was a bigger child. Um, it, you know, it's, of course, just baby fat, but as a growing teenager, you don't know that. It's Kids puberty are mean, and, dude. Yes. Kids are so mean. Like, they find one thing that's wrong with you, and they just, like, drill it into your head. Yes. <laughs> I think this is the second episode where we have talked about how kids are just mean. I think we talked about well, this last episode, too, but ch- children can just be cruel it sometimes. Is true. <laughs> kids are bullies, okay? They are. <laughs> They're very honest, and they don't have as much of a filter. They have stuff to learn still, and that's okay. Yeah. Yes. So uh, you were, you said you were 16 when you were diagnosed. So you like went through high school, like actively dealing with this. Yes. I um, eventually got down so much that it was time to be put into a hospital in ICU. Mm. Um, so that's really when it was brought to my attention um, that, thank goodness, the hospitalist realized the symptoms and the signs and that it, anybody can be diagnosed with mm-hmm. an eating disorder. And so we took the stigma away of what can be defined as an eating disorder, and he eventually recommended treatment, and I underwent that for four months to eventually get back on the other side. Did your parents or like a loved one or who in your support system kind of helped you pinpoint what might be going on or who called it to your attention, I guess? Um, My mom was definitely the one that was like, she has an eating disorder. Um, and everybody else was just in denial. Mm-hmm. And of course I was too, you know, who wants 
to be diagnosed with anything. And so my mom had always like said, I think this is what is going on. But when everybody else is in denial, one person isn't going to be the one to be like, this is it. And so it really took me getting into my last leg of things before anybody ever really diagnosed me. Yeah. Your mom spoke at the needle walk, right? She did. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, the needle walk is national eating disorder awareness walk. And Mackenzie actually had a huge role in organizing that this year. And I went and it was super incredible. She spoke and her mom spoke and, um, that's, yeah. I remember your mom talking about like that whole process and, what that was like from her perspective. So that was really interesting. Yeah. She's actually been super amazing in coming and, you know, we'll find different people that because I'm so open about it, Mm -hmm. they'll come and, you know, can you help us? And my mom's actually been super helpful in helping parents, you know, figure out how to go through it because nobody wants their child to have an eating disorder. It's a long process. There's things you can't say. There's things you can say. There's Mm -hmm. things to help. There's things not to help. And so she's been really supportive and, you know, meeting parents and talking about it. So I feel like with an eating disorder, it's hard enough to recognize it and to accept it. But uh, for anyone at any age, but for someone to be so young, I can't imagine what a parent must be thinking and feeling going through that. Yeah, I definitely think it was hard to recognize even more the younger you are, because, you know, is it just the puberty weight loss or Mm -hmm. what is it? So, right. And I feel like a lot of people in that age are kind of like doing different things and you never like I feel like a lot of people chalk eating disorders up to just like girls being girls and you know and that's I hate that but (laughs) that's why we're doing this and one thing I actually have always said when I talk to people is when I was in treatment we actually had four boys with us um it's definitely not something that is just female um and it's not with one stereotype or whatever. And that's one reason they had a hard time diagnosing mm-hmm. me is because you don't fit into these credentials. You can't have an eating disorder. But that's certainly not true. Right. Um, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. No, definitely not. <laughs> it's mental health in general, honestly. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I actually have a nonprofit of my own, which is why I went and helped with Nita. Oh, okay. Um, what is your nonprofit? So it's actually called Hashtag Be Beautiful. Oh, that's um, so cute. So kind of like the mirrors downstairs. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as I got onto a good path of recovery, mm-hmm. I was able to go and talk to people and help them. So the nurses and doctors, I was able to help realize that it's not a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. issue. Um, and I was able to do different events like a scale smash. And that sounds like so much fun. It's so fun. <laughs> I would love to bring one here um, and bring different info people Mm -hmm. in to talk and we were working on showing people how synapses in the brain actually misfire to Mm -hmm. show different body dysmorphia issues um and we've been able to raise money for different facilities and stuff like that can you maybe elaborate a little bit on what body dysmorphia is for our listeners who might not know of course so one thing we actually did in treatment that I love to show is somebody with an eating disorder has a big piece of paper and they write down or they draw their body Mm -hmm. and then you lay down and somebody will trace your body over it. And it's always four to five times bigger than what you actually are. Because when you look in the mirror, 
you have different brain chemicals that will misfire and show different images. So you look 300, 400, 500 pounds when you're 100. Mm -hmm. And so it's a difficult process. And that's definitely what recovery helps you realize is that you may be one size and your brain's going to show you a different size. But as you progress through recovery, you will have less days where you look in the mirror and go, who is this? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us like a little bit about what your recovery was like for you? It was definitely hard Um, being a homebody. I did not like being away from my parents. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no cell phones. It's very monitored watching. And um, it was definitely beneficial. I was in denial for a long time um, at the beginning of recovery of why am I here? Do I really have an eating disorder? So you were in high school when all of this happened. Did you end up taking like a semester off or how did that work? A year off. A year um, off. But it's amazing how treatment centers work. They will actually have school time. And so oh, your really schools cool. usually work with you to bring the classes you need online. Um, so I was actually able to complete the year, even though I was not in the school, oh, I was able to complete awesome. it in treatment. Um, but it was definitely something that once I started realizing I had a problem and I needed help, um, I was able to, I love the analogy that you have to dig out the roots before you can get rid of the weed. Mm -hmm. And so I started working on finding the roots and unburying them so that I was able to fully get rid of the weed. Yeah, that's awesome. So you were talking about you didn't want to be away from your parents and all of that and how that was like. So do you want to keep talking about your recovery or? <laughs> yeah, I can. Um, I had a long process. I was in treatment for three and a half months. And how that works is you have your inpatient part and then you have your partial inpatient and mm-hmm. then you have your outpatient. So inpatient, you have an hour where your parents can come see you every day. You don't have cell phones. You don't have any outreach without yeah. outside world. Um, you have... Like, once you hit certain milestones, you're able to eventually go, like, five minutes on the patio. So you're able to see the sun after three, four weeks. Wow, they don't even let you outside? No, you can't go outside. Wow. Um, That would be so hard. The vitamin D deficiency is insane there. Yeah, that is so interesting to me. I did not know that. Yeah. You cannot go outside until you have reached a certain point, and then you're able to have patio time. Mm-hmm. But, of course, it's a concrete patio. Like, growing up where I did in the country, I was like, I need grass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you get further along, and so it helps encourage you because the more milestones you hit, the more you get. So mm-hmm. instead of five minutes on the patio, you get ten minutes on the patio and five minutes of yoga studio. Okay. Or you get ten minutes of the patio, ten minutes of yoga, and ten minutes of Zumba. Okay. And so, so you they, like limit your exercise and stuff yes, too. Yeah. Yes. And the whole time you're in there, you're going to have 30 minutes or less of exercise. Okay. And that's just to help with the like exercise portion of eating disorders and over-exercising. Yeah. So another thing for those of you who don't know, um, eating disorders are not singular to just your food intake. Um, you can excessively exercise and that can st- an eating disorder can manifest in that way too. So anyways, sorry. So, so you only get like limited patio time, limited exercise time. And that's inpatient? That's or- inpatient. And then 
of course, with partial inpatient, you get to spend the night with your family. But, of course, we had to get a hotel to stay in because traveling an hour every night when you, it's like clockwork. You go in, you have to check in at 7, and you can't leave till 6. So you're allowed to do one meal and one snack with your family. But it's it's still different. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're able to go on more trips. So we went to like Duke Gardens, which is in Durham, if Mm -hmm. any of you know about that. Um, So you start gradually entering yourself back into society because those weeks in inpatient, you're excluded from all of society. Right. I can't imagine being like 16 years old. And having that be your life for like three months or four months. Yeah. Yeah. That just sounds really, really difficult. Yeah. Which inpatient, of course, all of us were under the age of 18. So the youngest in there was a seven-year-old little girl. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. That breaks my heart. Seven. Because, I mean, you, you said that like your eating disorder habits started when you were 11 or 12 and then it was until you're 16. So I can only imagine like, when did this little girl start and like, how bad did it get for her to be there? Wow. That is, I would have never thought that. It's unfortunate. They've diagnosed some as young as the age of five. Mm. Yep. Gosh. Do you think that it's more common in college for people or before, after college, what age range would you say you think it's more common to like be diagnosed within? Um, of course, with helping with research, it shows that it's like between 13 and 18 are the mm-hmm. diagnosed ages, but it was a transition for me, especially, you know, you're, I was good in recovery two to three years by the time I came to college, mm-hmm. but it's a transition. You yeah. don't have your parents going, okay, so have you ate breakfast? Have you ate lunch? Have you ate dinner? Right. And you come into college, you may or may not know anybody you may have not have told anybody about Mm -hmm. it so it's not thought anything of if you don't eat breakfast or if you don't they don't see you in the dining hall for lunch and so it's definitely a bigger transition that I feel if you have started manifesting one in high school or middle school and it's just gone unnoticed that Mm -hmm. is definitely more revealing in college Mm. yeah So do you think that, like, were you scared to come to college whenever you were, like, dealing with that whole process? Were you scared? I was. um, Of course, you know, my dietitian, I love her to death, but she's blunt, which I like. But, you know, she was like, okay, so this percentage of people, they go to college and they end up back in treatment. Mm. So are you going to be that percentage? And. So I think there was a fear, but there was also a determination not to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, But I know several people that have had to go back into treatment, and there's nothing to be ashamed about of it. You know, we all recover at different speeds. Right. And we all have different support systems to help us out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I was big in dance, and so I had my dance family along with my family, with my church family, and we all were able to work to get better. Yeah. So you had a pretty solid support system. Yes. And do you think that it helped with you being so open about everything? I do. Um, in treatment, when you're in partial inpatient and heading to outpatient, your therapist will actually ask you, you know, so how are we going to tell the world where you were? Yeah. Because you've been incognito for this amount of time. Yeah. And so, you know, they gave me options 
you've been in the hospital with heart problems because, of course, that's true. When you get mm-hmm. so malnourished, you have heart problems or you had a brain problem. And I was just like, I'm going to be open about it yeah. because then you have the questions, especially in my small town. Everybody's nosy. Mm-hmm. We all know everybody. I can relate. My, my I can relate so as small. well. Yes. <laughs> and so I was like, well, you say you have heart problems or a brain problem and it's, well, what hospital were you at? Mm. well or can you elaborate yeah. on it and then you're just like adding on to like almost a lie or feel yes. like you're lying because yes. you're not Same telling the people. whole truth and yes. it's just I'm sure that's exhausting yeah so it was just easier to go and open up about it and I figured that way too you know I knew I was gonna have some people that were gonna judge me because mm-hmm. the stigma is still there unfortunately but I knew that if I opened up about it I could also help people yeah and so I it was much easier to open up about it and get that help That's good. That's awesome. So how do you think, like, how would you say everything like your eating disorder experience impacted your life in college? Um, of course, like anybody, you have difficult days. You have days that you don't really want to get up and get out of bed and eat breakfast Mm -hmm. or lunch or whatever. And of course, in college, you get to make your schedules. So you're like, well, I have classes during lunch. Am I really going to bring something to eat or am I going to just skip this meal? And it's big to, you know, go back to that support system. We all have technology. Mm -hmm. We all have a cell phone. Let's FaceTime or call or whatever we have to do and go, okay, no, no, no. We have a a role here that we have to continue on or we're going to end up back at square one. And so it definitely has been, a challenge. I mean, I'm not going to say it was easy, right. but it's been well worth it. And I've became stronger and have a deeper sense of recovery because of it. Do you think external like influences in college and stuff affect you a lot? I know a lot of people discuss social media and how it can be kind of triggering for some individuals. And I, I work in social media, so it's something that I've talked to a few people about. But what do you think about social media and how it relates, I guess? Um. I agree social media would definitely have a part to play in it. Um, I feel college is helpful in the fact that you're not all together and you haven't grown up with these individuals. True. So they're not over here, you know, talking about, well, I'm lost a size or I gained a size. Mm -hmm. And you're not with people, the same people all day long. And in treatment, you know, if it ever comes to that point for anyone, they discuss with you you know, how to block different things. Mm -hmm. And so social media, if you have a triggering aspect of it, you can block it or delete it from your page. Um, So social media definitely plays a part, but I would say it's a lot better in college than it is in high school and middle school. That makes sense. So have you, I guess, I know like I've talked to a few people since being in college and who have struggled with eating disorders and they talked about like assignments that teachers have given them where it's like, okay, count your calories, log your food, do a food diary. And like, that seems ridiculous to me, but I don't know. Do you have any like opinion on it? Um, I do. I actually have talked to the ADA about it here. Really, The ADA office actually excused me from the Con 1000 class because I did have a major part in over-exercising. I would exercise hours upon hours. And so, of course, becoming a freshman and, you know, trying to just transition into college Mm -hmm. was already a struggle. 
And so with talking with my doctors and my dietitian and everything, she was like, the ADA is there for you. Yeah. Like, go and talk to them. And I was excused from that class. Yeah. So I definitely feel that counting calories and everything, teachers need to be aware of right. the students that are in their classes because not everyone is open about what's going mm-hmm. on. And if they have something going on, they're going to count those calories because they're already doing it. Right. But it's going to just make the fire so much bigger. Mm-hmm. That's awesome that you went to the ADA and you they were able to help you out because I guess whenever I had those conversations with people, that was not even a thought in my brain. Like, why don't you go talk to the ADA office? Yeah. Like, I didn't know that probably, was an option. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. You all, you know, that's an awesome resource. A lot of people don't realize that the ADA, you know, mental illness is considered under the Disability mm-hmm. Act. It is. And so use them. They're amazing. They'll help you out, you know, especially with emotional support dogs. They're great. I have one myself. I have an emotional support dog, too. They're amazing. It's my dude. I love him. Yes, <laughs> yes. All the cuddles. Yes. Um, but they're here to help. Yeah. I feel like with, I mean, with our podcast, we give a disclaimer every episode to say if something we say or here are some topics, I guess, that if you hear them, you might be emotionally uh, triggered. triggered or something like that. We always try to say that to make sure people are aware. I feel like that same type of policy should sort of be in place in classes, especially like kinesiology, just for the sake of if one of these exercises or class uh, material or something like that, if that makes you uncomfortable, like come talk to the professor or something just to make sure that everyone's comfortable. Because in a class like that, it's really easy to be consumed right. by the group and to, you know, they need to get to know the professor and yeah. that kind of yeah. thing. And I think professors, like, if that's something that you're like, you know what, I'm not changing it, I'm still going to give this assignment, they should at least provide an alternative. Agreed. You know, like, yeah. if you don't feel comfortable logging all your food, do something fake maybe, like yeah. a fake a fake person's food. <laughs> I don't know, something. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot more options than just, like, Like, if it's about someone. diet, maybe, like, cooking a well-balanced meal or something, you yeah. know, like really just something that's an alternative for those that might not be comfortable doing that one exercise. Yeah. And of course, everybody has to take nutrition when you come to college. That's a standard for all UNC yeah. schools. Um, that's true. But get a relationship with your teacher. My nutrition teacher was amazing. You know, I talked to her, this is what's going on. And she was able to give me an alternative assignment and help me out. So create that relationship and try to talk with them. That's awesome. I always tell people a little bit of conversation goes a long way. And I feel like this is one of those times like, yes, a little bit of conversation goes so far. You never know what can happen when you're just like open and honest and tell people. I think in college, it's we always feel like we have to do everything by ourselves. You know, like we're out on our own. We have this newfound freedom and everything is like, okay, you're independent now, figure it out. But it's not like that. And it's, if you go talk to people and just tell people, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can you please help me? Really (laughs) just so much more Finding a mentor, I feel like can be really beneficial for anyone. I've been fortunate enough that I'm very, very close with my boss, Mm -hmm. but there's not many adults that are actually in your life in college. I mean, you have your professors, maybe club leaders or something like that. But for the most part, the adults in your life are the people you work with and your professors. So it's better to have a relationship with them just to have a mentor throughout the process. That is college. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. I think we're going to take a brief intermission just to gather our thoughts and take a little water break. So we'll be back soon and bye-bye for now. 
we are back from intermission and ready to jump back into the rest of this episode. So my first question to kind of kick things off with Mackenzie again is to ask, what can the ECU community do to better to support people with eating disorders? Um, I think really just become knowledgeable about what eating disorders truly are. You know, don't use the internet, well, some sources on the internet, because as I like to say, Dr. Google does not have it all. Oh, I love Dr. Google. I've never heard anybody call it that before. That's incredible. Yes. Sorry, I totally interrupted you. No, <laughs> Dr. Google is an incredible term. I'm using that from now on. I'm honestly, I, I Dr. Google quite often. My mom's also a nurse, though. So yeah, I'll like, so I'll, it's Dr. Um, Google. I'll text her. I'll be yeah. like, hey, here are my symptoms. Can you give me a virtual diagnosis so that I don't have to go to the doctor? Because I'm just not a big fan of doctors. But. Yes. But, you know, just become knowledgeable about what the symptoms are, not who the individual is, mm-hmm. but what the symptoms are. And, you know, when we do events around campus and stuff to promote eating disorders, talk with people that have them or have went through them and are in recovery because they're going to have the best idea of, you know, okay, this is going to trigger someone or this would be really helpful for us. Mm-hmm. So I think just involving those that are open about their eating disorder and coming together to figure out how we can better the whole community. So follow-up question. Oh, I have a follow-up too, but you go okay. first. <laughs> so good, because I might forget it. Okay. Um, so for people who aren't as open about their experience, how do you suggest we bring them to the table, you know? Yeah. Um, it takes time. Uh, at first, you know, I went back and forth. I knew I wanted to be open about it. But when you get back home and you have those judgy people, mm-hmm. like, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Like, how do I backtrack? Right. But becoming open about it helps your recovery process. Right. You can become raw with your emotions if you have to. Because burying your emotions, you're eventually going to explode. And the people with eating disorders, most of the time, their emotions explode in the mm-hmm. eating disorder. So being open about it, you're able to have those relationships with friends and families and mentors that you can go, okay, I need to talk about this. This Mm -hmm. happened and it was bad and I need a moment to just debrief. Right. And so I think just realizing that you're going to have those people out there that are negative about it and are going to judge you for it. But overall, people will get it. And the more people that open up about it, the more people that realize, okay, this is more of a common thing than we realize. And individuals, you know, everybody has a different body. So every eating disorder looks different. Absolutely. And so it's able, you know, when more people open up about it, you can see all the different people that have one. Right. Okay, cool. I think that was an interesting question to say because mine's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. (laughs) Yours is more about how to bring people to the table. Mine is more so... How do you suggest approaching someone about like discussing an eating disorder and kind of like to educate yourself, I guess, like if I were to come to you or to someone else and say, I want to learn more about it so that I can be more knowledgeable and therefore more supportive. How would you recommend someone go about that? Yeah, so I would definitely recommend if you want to know more about it, going to somebody that's open about it. But on the flip side of things, talking to someone where you suspect they have an eating disorder and you want to bring that to the conversation. I think it's all about how you word it. Um, Mm -hmm. because if they're not ready to open up about it or if they're in denial, they're gonna hit you with a brick wall and they're going to get defensive and mean. And I had those moments, you know, I'm a very bubbly person, but 
there were times where I was mean and anybody that truly knew me, that was not the Mackenzie they knew. And so I think it's just discussing with them if you're trying to help them, you know, realize they have an eating disorder is that, you know, start with basic questions like, how are you today? Don't generally go out and ask about how their exercise routine is, what they're eating or if they've eaten because they're eventually going to bring up walls. Mm-hmm. And I think, does that answer your question? I think that's like the best I way to I think for the most it. part it does. So can you tell us a little bit more about National Eating Disorder Awareness, like week and the walk and just kind of all of that stuff? Because that's coming up in the next couple of months, right? It is. It's in February. Oh, wow. Oh, so wow. like next very month. soon. Yes. We're um, j- late January right now. But this, oh, this episode uh, <laughs> episode is dropping probably in a few weeks from now. But oh, it, it's probably going to be February. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. when but is it? February what? I want to say it's like the third. It's right after Valentine's Day. It well, is around that time. Valentine's Day is the fourteenth. So. Okay, so <laughs> which is it's on a Friday. Around there. Yeah. Um, I can't ever remember the full dates, but yeah. that's the okay. very interesting thing this year is they've actually combined with a partner. Wow. Um, and so talking about men with eating disorders, yeah. we have actually combined um, National Eating Disorder Awareness Week with uh, men who have eating disorders. It was a separate nonprofit and they've combined together to become under one roof so that everybody can feel included because the mental health, like how you diagnose people with it, they just included men can have eating disorders in 2001, 2002. So it's a new thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just branching into the whole idea of anyone, any race, any gender, any anything can have an eating disorder. And so all about National Eating Disorder Awareness and NIDA, they have a website that you can go onto and you can actually take a quiz on where you are. Do you possibly have an eating disorder? Are you developing an eating disorder? Are you good? Um, that you can take quizzes. You can learn more about eating disorders, every type of eating disorder they have. And that's something you can do in private too. So it's kind of yeah. like you can investigate a little bit on your own and uh, I feel like a more comfortable environment, like do a little bit of research before you go to a doctor or like, you know, take those next steps because sometimes it just takes researching to figure out where you are to start. And Nita is definitely a website that is reliable. You know, you don't want to go take quizzes on Yahoo and right. a <laughs> website that's Dr. Google. Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Google over here is on their own and diagnose yourself that way. Right. But Nita is a great source to it's use. It's very reliable. Yes. Yeah. So, what uh, resources on campus, if any, did you use? Um, so, I was deep into recovery by the time I got to campus, but you can always email, like I said, the disability services mm-hmm. and they're helpful. You know, when I got an email back from them, they were like, if you have anything else that concerns you, just stop by our office. Like we're more than happy to help you. So That's awesome. they're amazing. Um, the nutritionists on campus, mm-hmm. I've worked closely with them with the needle walk and they are super sweet. If they're I didn't already awesome. have a dietitian. I think I did I a would, video with them a couple of years ago. Yes. Yeah, they're if I did really not awesome. already have a dietitian, I would recommend them. They're amazing. Um, And then the counseling services, they do have some for eating disorders. So, you know, if that's something that you feel you need to discuss, I would recommend them as well. Yeah, I remembered what I was going to say. What were you going to say? We were talking about looking at websites. And uh, in one of my classes, we actually talked about, like, the dangers of looking up eating disorders on the Internet because of this thing called Pro-Anna websites. And Pro-Mia. 
And Promia, yeah. And they're like these happy, they try to look like so bright and happy, but they're advocating for eating disorders and they like give you, I'm not even going to talk about all the stuff that please don't look it up because it's, 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 it's terrifying. Um, but that's one thing that, you know, talking about websites and, you know, instead of just going to Dr. Google or Yahoo or whatever, um, one of those things to be cautious of is that there could be a lot of false information out there, especially considering these pro whatever websites. Yes. And I definitely recommend that, you know, if you're on the flip side of recovery or if you're someone that has a friend or family member that is dealing with an eating disorder, that you can report these websites because people do go out and create them to encourage people to have an eating disorder and make it look so glamorous. Mm -hmm. It is not glamorous at all whatsoever. Um, It's definitely a lot of painful and bad symptoms um, that they just aren't as glamorous as they make them out to be. Right. So speaking of symptoms, we mentioned for people on campus to kind of become more aware of different symptoms. Could you kind of just give a brief explanation of some basic symptoms for people to look for? So of course, with your different eating disorders, you know, I always say for bulimia, a big cue is they're going to have different, they're going to have very yellowing teeth and brown spots because of the acid in the vomit. Mm -hmm. And their knuckles are always going to have ulcers on them and they're going to be rough. That's your biggest key Mm -hmm. because they make themselves throw up. Um, For your anorexic people, you're going to notice that they're going to have fine hair all over their body. So, they are also going to be cold all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, a misconception with anorexia is you have to be small or with any eating disorder, really. But another key sign is because you don't look for the smallness is in the winter and summer and whatever month it is, however hot it is, they're going to be wearing long sleeves because they're cold all the time. Um, I could never get warm. And, you know, I would run in sweatpants and a hoodie. In the summertime. still be cold? Yes. That's so interesting. I feel like out of all the classes that I've taken, because I think I mentioned this on my episode, but um, I'm in grad school for social work and I or my undergrad was in mental health and I minored in psychology. And so I've learned a lot about eating disorders, but you always hear the very clinical pieces of it. That's, you know, these people have a misperception of what they look like and you don't hear stuff like they're going to be cold all the time. And so that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, they'll always be preoccupied with weight. You'll see them staring off in space. Um, they may have, for professors out there, you may have failing grades. You know, they may have been doing good for so long and advisors, you know, if they're having all A's and B's and then all of a sudden this semester they're flunking, they have a preoccupation with their weight, with calories, with exercising. So, mm-hmm. They're not going to be focused on their classes. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think those are big keys. Yeah. If you had any advice for any of our listeners who may be experiencing eating disorders or may know someone who's experiencing an eating disorder, what would it be? I think the biggest thing is to get help. You know, you're going to be in denial for the longest time. Like I said, I was in treatment and was still in denial. Um, 
I was faced with death and still in denial. But you're going to have to eventually realize that it's not what everybody makes it out to be. It's not that stigma that was drilled in your head in eighth grade health class. Like, that's not it. Um, Everyone can have an eating disorder. So I think just reaching out and getting help, even if it's, you know, talking with your friend about, hey, I need help. Will you help me get it? Right. Um, It's not always, you know, I understand that everybody's not going to let me schedule an appointment with the counseling center and we're going to drill this in the head right now. Right. I feel like it's just about recognizing where you are and then seeking help based off of that. Like there's not this giant commitment waiting at the end of getting help. It might be talking to a counselor and establishing where you are. It yeah. might be figuring out some sort of plan to help you, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be committed or anything like that no, no. to some long-term plan. It's just kind of starting. And the earlier you get help, the better off you're going to be. You know, right. I was in such a deep depth of my eating disorder that I started from ground zero. But mm-hmm. if you realize it and accept it early on, you can bounce back quicker than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and National Eating Disorder Awareness Week is February 24th through March 1st. We could definitely we put out a video and that. drop the podcast that time. Yeah. That would be great. It would be great. Yep. Um, so one thing I would like to mention before we wrap it up is Mackenzie has kind of shared that she had a really awesome support system. Um, and we, we recognize that not everybody who comes to college or experiences these things has that solid of a support system. So there's resources on campus, there's the counseling center, there's nutrition services, which is in the student health center. Um, there's plenty of people, the ADA, which is the American Disabilities Disabilities Association. Association. Thank you. Um, I should know that. You should. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be blunt. You should know that. (laughs) Um, but there's all these resources on campus. So if you don't have an initial support system, there's opportunities for you to create one here. Yes. And you know, there's people you can reach out to. I'm always here. Um, I'm always you're here. You're always there. Yeah. <laughs> I am sometimes here, most of the time here. Um, I think we all care about everyone out there and we want to provide the resources to get you the help that you need, but know that the ECU community cares about you. And we and love you. We want you yes. to have the experience that you need and have the help that you need, not just this isn't a punishment or anything. It's just kind of what we feel like we should say right now. We just want yeah. to support and love on those in our community. Yeah. I guess we're going to sign off for now. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Lines. And we will be back soon with another episode. Bye, everyone. Bye, friends. Bye. This podcast would not be complete without providing a few resources for our listeners. Nutrition Plus is located in Greenville, North Carolina, and has an IAEDP certified dietitian on site. The National Eating Disorder Association, also known as NIDA, has a hotline available at 800 800- or you can chat with them online at nationaleatingdisorders.org 24-7 if you need help. Mackenzie has also given us her email to share as a resource because she has connections all over the state. Her email is mackenziewrench at gmail.com. That's M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E-W-R-E-N-C-H at gmail.com.